Welcome to Rodney Veal's Inspired By, a production of Public Media Connect, the regional partnership of CET in Cincinnati, and Think TV in Dayton. Rodney Veal, our host for this podcast, is an independent choreographer, interdisciplinary artist, and all-around fan of all things arts and creativity. And he's excited to share another great conversation with you. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoy the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody. I'm Rodney Veal. I'm the host of Rodney Veal's Inspired by Podcast. And today, I have the extreme honor and privilege to sit down and have a, a conversation with Leroy Bean, who is a poet, spoken word artist, community activist, all-around champion of culture and spoken word and everything connected to the arts in this community. He's he's the next generation of folks who are going to take over for the arts in our town, and, and it, it's, it's going into great hands. And I'm super excited to talk about Leroy and his journey and all good things about spoken word and being an artist. So welcome, Leroy. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I am definitely honored to be here. Oh, it's super cool. So I, I was thinking back to when we first met, and this is pre-COVID, so then I could not date the the when and in the, in the, in the calendar when we were, when we first ran into each other, but I believe mm-hmm. it was at the Dayton Live, and there was a presentation of spoken word through the, was it through the, the OAC, the Ohio Arts Council? Uh, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I just feel like it's like, you know, when you have these, like, you know, these, these in, in, in-person experiences, uh, yeah. but I do remember, I remember you vividly because it was like, you had such an assurance to your presence and the words that you were speaking and it was so powerful and it was very clear it was coming directly from you and so i was like oh and then of course our paths have crossed so many times Mm -hmm. in life since then i'm just kind of curious because i get to now ask you questions about your life you you stated something in and in something i found online that you know Mm -hmm. that this this in many ways gave your life a direction can you elaborate on what that means? What 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 is, what is it about this that gave you the direction that you think your life was it didn't have? As in, like poetry, art, art in general. All of it, all of it, right. all of it, sir. Man, as I was getting out of uh, college, I was struggling with just figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, I thought that computer engineering was what I wanted to do in my life. Um, I loved math and science. I went to Rice State for. Uh, computer engineering. I had my first few coding classes and I was like, this is interesting, but this is just not, it's just not it. I don't know what it is. And I left and I had to to really sit with myself. Life forced me to, to sit down and eliminated all distractions. I got laid off from my job. My relationship had ended. I had got into a car accident, left college. Like everything was, was just gone except me and my ability to reflect and writing was my was my outlet for that. Um, and at the time, it was just like Facebook statuses that, you know, my community was encouraging me to continue to write and put out there. And it was that that like kind of just kept me going and kept me, you know, in this mindset of of facing my my life and, and these choices through creativity when other people could resonate. And it was I think I wrote probably at least a poem a day for about nine months straight. 
until I saw my first uh, my first slam poetry competition that I entered for. I'd never been to an open mic. I had never gone any done anything, you know, as far as putting my poetry out there. It was just, you know, Facebook statuses and, and joining that competition was my first time to just like, you know what I think I can I think I can do this. And I really saw how impactful my words were to a crowd and how impactful they had been to me over the course of those nine months and just guiding me through this journey of of healing and, and growth. And as soon as I got done with that competition, they told me to stick around and and I just dived into the artist community. And from then it changed my life. I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is what I wanted to feel from computer engineering, but wasn't getting. And it was just, it just took off from there. I fell in love with it. I, I And this is no offense to those who find that joy in computer uh, coding, sure. but there obviously spoken word and art making is just a little bit more dynamic. That's mm-hmm. our, that's my bias to it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, what, what possessed you for computer, computer engineering? I mean, I, I mean, it's like, I think this is like a typical story. There's a lot of artists that we've interviewed that started off one way and it completely went to the arts. Yeah. I mean, what, what was it about computer engineering that you thought was going to be like? All my life, man, math and science, computers, technology was always interesting to me. And, and even still, there was a there's a piece of that at its foundation that kind of trained over into poetry and writing. But it was, I don't know, it was just something about like, how technology was growing for me as a kid in my generation. And it was like always something new with, you know, computer games and video games and phones. And like, I was always interested and I was like, I want to know how to do this on a very basic level. And and like I said, math and science were just one of those things I love to, to, to kind of imagine and, and think forward and be in this space that like, you know, behind the scenes of how everything works. But then I became that mindset started to be like, in, in the mindset of a writer. And I started to create stories or think about things like that, that, that influenced me to write, or I would like include puzzles and problems inside of my writing that kind of just gave me the motivation to, to keep going. So I guess that's how it came about. <laughs> oh, so that is so, that's amazing. I mean, it's just a fact that you could, you could kind of see problem solving in this sort of kind of in its way being the foundation and but it's like but it, there's something there's something very different about the narrative and there's something mm-hmm. that's really powerful about narrative and what was every i mean other than the face obviously the facebook community and the community of poetry and, and writing encouraged you mm-hmm. what's the risk what was i mean because if you're going down a pathway of computer science, I'm sure there are those who are like, wait, what? You're going to make this? That's a pivot <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> what was yes. it? I mean, what, what was that like to deal with? Because I, I mean, I know that pivot. I did that pivot mm-hmm. for dance and it was like, that was a hard pivot for political science to, yeah. to ballet. <laughs> That's a, that I still don't understand, but. <laughs> for sure. As I look back on it, I'm still kind of amazed myself. But when I was younger, I just had this, feeling of confidence with it and just knew that it was for me. And and a lot of my friends, I would invite them out to to poetry shows or open mics that I were going to be in. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, when did you start doing poetry? When did, wh- what? Like when it, it happened that fast, a lot of my friends didn't even catch up and they were throwing off. And it wasn't until, you know, they started to come out and see me perform that they understood and the people that I was starting to to build around me, the community that I was starting to be a part of, it was just undeniable that this is this is who I've become. I think 
it took my parents, my family the longest to really kind of get adjusted to that for sure. And it, it was some years before I really started to show them like, hey, this is what this is doing for me. Like, and I really, it, this is just who I am. This is where I'm at. And I, and I need the support. If not, like, I mean, I'm going to keep doing it, but <laughs> it was just something that nothing could stop me with. Like, no, nobody's opinion could change what I had already seen and felt. Oh, I love I love how you said that nobody could change that feeling that and, and uh, that this is this is right this felt right for you mm-hmm. every I hear that a lot I mean we've only done the podcast I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I've been doing this podcast for 20 years or something but it's like it's, but it's, it's but it's but it seems it's a common thread it's like we can't this there's something about the the path that we've chewed like it just speaks to us mm-hmm. that we just can't let go of it just yeah. it just it you could turn you could try to pivot away from it but it's undeniable and once you get a taste of it i always tell people when you get a taste of it it's something it, it, it it's addictive it's yeah. an addiction in a in a way because you just can't you just constantly want to understand it and be a, and like and embody it and i felt like when i first saw you you know this is the first time i encountered you in spoken word mm-hmm. it felt embodied mm-hmm. it felt like oh this is He's been doing this all his life, and then I find out you you haven't been doing it all your life. So it's kind of a surprise, uh, surprise to me. For sure. I mean, do you? I mean, so do you? I mean, talk to me. Talk to especially the audience because how does one maintain a life in 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 spoken word? How do you create a life? I mean, because we always we always think about the practical, but mm-hmm. you know, but for for those who may not understand this, I mean. How do you then start to see the artwork in context of everything else? Mm-hmm. This is probably the thing I've had the biggest struggle through in my journey. I think that, you know, that attitude and that hunger that I had when I was a lot younger in this, and it'll be 10 years next year. So the the hunger that I had back then was just kind of like this unrealistic motivation and vision for whatever spoken word could be, whatever poetry could be. And that was helpful because it got me where I am. But like about halfway along the journey, it started to get just a little tiring. And it was hard to to really figure out how to make this work, how to actually fuse this with some type of life because I hadn't seen it done before. And, and I wasn't really too sure what it looked like in the realm of being successful because I knew it was one of the main things, uh, one of the only things that I could do. But it, it required me to allow myself to see beyond the limits of what was in front of me. It, it required me to understand a lot of the process that it takes to be a writer and a lot of the sacrifices that are required in order to be a writer. It got to a point where I had to look at workshops. I had to look at teaching. I had to look at finding a way to make sure that everything that I was doing was moving in the same direction that my artistry was moving in. Cause at one point it was just like, Oh, I'm trying to keep this job that has nothing to do with art while I also try to make it as an artist. And that was pulling me too thin and it was exhausting until it was like, okay, let me, let me start over. Let me sit back and, and look at, what is the context of my voice as a writer and how do I want to start embodying that and using that to curate my life as a whole and start to walk in the same direction with everything I do. And that took years of building. I, I 
I had moved to Columbus when I first started poetry. I was working. I was still trying to work at this hospital. And as soon as I got the chance, when I realized how unhappy I was trying to pull myself in two different directions, I quit. I moved back home to Dayton. And I felt like I had a whole new purpose about things. And then it became community organizing. And that's when it came the the open mics and, and a lot of that work in the community, along with just kind of, like I said, teaching and writing as well. So a lot of rearranging. <laughs> a lot of rearrangement. I, I love that. I love the fact that you you talk about that that rearrangement and you traveled. Well, I mean, what, what, what obviously is Columbus. It's close enough. You are a native Daytonian, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's, it, it's close enough. I, I get that. I understand, you know, family and being close <laughs> to the source. But then what drew you back to the source in Columbus after you realized, like, okay, working at a hospital is not going to cut it? Is there something about, because it's got to be, I, mean, I, did you find that there's a difference between Columbus and Dayton in regards to, the understanding of you and your journey, this whole, this curating your life to be this artist. I mean, is there a difference? I mean, I, I'm out of curious. Is there a difference with an hour and a half away? Yeah. Is there a difference through the perception of the community to wanting to be a spoken word artist? That's a lot lot to unpack there. (laughs) For sure. But definitely I didn't feel like I had a lot of guidance here in day in to really fully realize what I wanted or to see what spoken word could be. The spoken word scene back then, and it's kind of, it's changed a lot since I had moved there. And I was in about 2015. Uh, when I got there, there were, there was about an open mic every week, every day of the week. Um, there was slams all the time. Uh, Scott Woods, uh, JG, um, CR Freeman, so many other just legends in the poetry and spoken word game that that were able to provide mentorship and just examples through how much infrastructure was there for performing artists and especially poets. Uh, but in Dayton, it wasn't all the way like that. And, and let me be specific as well to say that it was a lot of black artists that I needed to see uh, representation mm-hmm. from as well. And that and that's what there wasn't a lot of here in Dayton in that in that way. So it was understanding that Columbus had a lot to teach me. And it was kind of my my place of solitude and study away from everything that could distract me here, you know, and to just be under the wing of people who were actually doing it. And when I came back to Dayton, it was like I didn't want to come back until I knew I had something to bring back to add to it. And that was a lot of what I learned from Columbus. Okay, so what? Which is which? Kind of, I, I have a question about that whole learning because learning seems to be like you—you're constantly wanting to absorb and take in information. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I kind of get the vibe, and we're going to talk about your trip to Paris because that's I, that's where we have a kind of a kindred spirit about leaving the country. It, it's the my question is is about that learning piece of it is affecting you and also to there's representation mm-hmm. i mean you are do you think that now because you've been at this now in, in this in this realm for 10 years almost a decade have we started to see a greater range of representation in the spoken word community and of african-american men i, I mean I, I take that as let's go directly to to the to the head on that is yeah. is that 
we're starting is that is that more prevalent now and and that that's got to be it, it for me i know it's from my end it's very satisfying to dance to see mm-hmm. more leadership in the arts in general but specifically mm-hmm. to your realm it's kind of nice to be able to say oh, oh i've got mentors but they're more mm-hmm. as it started to grow so how's it how does that feel now how does it resonate with you now man for one it's different because i'm on a whole different side of it I'm no longer the younger poet who, you know, is looking for mentorship. I'm actually out here providing it spaces and all. So that's so interesting. So I will definitely say that there are a lot of up and coming artists that are practicing here in Dayton that are looking for a place to perform, that are trying to get their put themselves out there as well as strengthen their craft. Is it still a whole is it more mentorship, more platforms, support? I'll say it's grown a little bit, but there's still there's still a lot more to be had there. But at the same time, and a, a part of what I'll probably talk more about from my trip to France is is that there's I just think there's a lack of understanding for what type of infrastructure we need as artists, especially as writers. And there's a lot of things that I feel like we're missing in Dayton to have such a icon like Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And for so many writers to be coming up here, there should be a lot more infrastructure for us to kind of to be able to, you know, come up with or or climb up with. So, yeah, it's grown a little bit, but there's still more I would Uh, like to see. (laughs) More you would like to. I I think that would be that's a statement for all of us. I think that's a that's a a totally legitimate observation. Mm -hmm. And so. I mean, and you, you, I love how you evoked Paul Lawrence Dunbar because one of the things that I've discovered, we're, we've been working on a, on this documentary on Bing Davis mm-hmm. and this notion that the infrastructure for science and technology is put in place, but there was no infrastructure put in for literature and spoken word and language mm-hmm. because we had someone who changed the world and how we see poetry and language from an african-american perspective so uh, i mean i mean that's you're talking well over 100 years ago mm-hmm. and so we're at this place now it, it it's it's obviously in our dna if you're from dayton mm-hmm. it's in our dna to kind of you just tap the well of the word and spoken language so so when you when you talk about mentorship you started you you applied for uh, funding from the county montgomery county arts and culture district mm-hmm. And you and it was to start the the Baldwin Cafe. Talk about that. I mean, because that was like you talk you talk about creating space. You went and created space. Yeah. So, talk about yeah. it. I mean, how did that? I mean, you 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 did you you went went beyond just the words. You were like, <laughs> let me build a structure. <laughs> for sure. And again, like man, uh, definitely representation for where my mind was and just how like forward thinking I was without worrying about any anything. But I saw the possibilities and it was right around the time when I started to get into James Baldwin and James Baldwin had changed me that that much that I'm like, I want to name a bookstore Baldwin Cafe. Like this is (laughs) this is a part of what I want to provide here and understanding how important black literature is for my growth and and for so many other people's growth I've seen around the city and, and in my community. I'm like, there has to be more spaces like this and on top of that 
in terms of places to kind of hang out. And and that's what Baldwin Cafe was a representation of was this third space between home and work or school where community can truly, truly gather. There's a lot of different spaces that are catered to, you know, mainstream and, and you know, what makes money, the nightclubs, the coffee shops. But again, in terms of like those black spaces and one that was focused on books that had different types of tea and had that same type of kind of coffee shop vibe, but with, you know, music and, and just, I don't know, a little modern. It, it was just something that I felt like was needed at the time. So for writers, for the artists, for the people who were in my community, a space where Black people could be chill, learn, buy more literature and be social, you know, and make connections and build relationships. I wanted to to help provide that type of space. And I and that's what and I've always felt that way. Like, oh well something needs to be done. Like let's let's get to it. Let's build it. If I got the resources, I'm, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I'm grateful for that. I think we all are grateful for that because that's the kind of thinking that leads to us changing as a community. And that's why yeah. when I introduced you, you said next generation, because I as I as I approach 60, I'm re- recognizing I I didn't realize until I looked in the mirror one day, oh you're you've stepped closer to elder territory <laughs> than you realize. Right. And so, and so this, it's like kind of knowing, because there's a phrase that Bing Davis uses, reach high, reach back. Mm-hmm. And I think that like you're a manifestation of the reach high, reach back. And that's why. And so it, it's like the fact that, you know, space, you're thinking about it in bigger terms. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's what I think, people mis- misunderstand about those who are practitioners of especially spoken word and and the arts in general you you cannot not have a community component to your work i am right. now a firm believer it's all about community mm-hmm. you, you can't so you have to kind of think about well if i'm saying these words but also i need to be around my fellow artists i need to make the space and mm-hmm. so you're sharing the tradition of someone like a Bing Davis, you're, you're and and Paul Lawrence Dunbar and and James Baldwin because that is they were trying to find those spaces and yeah. those places to allow us to grow in spoken word. And what I love is I discovered Bing has a lot of his work is based on spoken word. I didn't know it's that. A, yeah, it's a lot of his. He, there's a series of works he did in his early career based. That Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote. Okay. Like started a whole series of clay vessels. Wow. See, it's like so language is it, right. Is 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 a key part of it. So. And that's what that one of the things that I've been thinking so deeply about lately as a writer is that that like you know that blend between visual artists and storytellers is like you know visual artists have the benefit of showing you exactly what they want you to see by creating that image creating that you know that thing that sculpture but artists don't necessarily writers don't necessarily have that luxury we have to say the right words to implant that vision into the audience's minds and into their hearts to get them to feel what we're trying to get them to feel and see what we're trying to get them to see and that to think about that in the exchange of a writer being able to give a visual artist the words to translate that into something physical is is mind blowing to me and this and it just is representative of you know what change looks like in real time from person to person and how that influence manifests 
Oh, that's and that. So I have a question. Do you have you collaborated with visual artists? Have you done any collaborations with other people outside in other disciplines? A little bit. Me and Dave Scott actually worked on some things during my first book release, The Love and Theory of Womanology. But I have some even bigger plans, a next level collaboration in mind for what I want to put together for, you know, my experience from from France. So more to come on that for sure. Oh, cool. So let's talk about your first book that as a, as a, as a collaborative effort. I mean, I mean, you published, I mean, that's, that's pretty like you, like I said, you, you've committed to doing this to the point where it's like, I'm going to publish, I'm going to create space. So what, what's it, what's it like? What's, what, what surprised you about pulling your work together on the page and, and then creating something that's very permanent, Mm -hmm. a book. I mean, what's what's different about that versus doing it as a performative element in front of people? It was it's kind of nerve wracking, to be honest. Let me say that first, because it's in a book. I'm putting it out there and I'm about to hit publish. And I proofread this thing. I've had people edit it. I've looked over it so many times and I'm like, please don't let there be no mistakes. Please <laughs> let let people understand what this is about. And like by the time I got through it. I had already kind of moved on from the concept and I was like, I just want to, I just want to like put that aside and work on the next thing because, you know, I don't want it to feel outdated, but I had to realize that there are people who still haven't experienced it yet and and they still need to hear that before I even move on to the next thing. So that, that was a lot to come to terms with, but it was also a really great accomplishment. It was something that I never thought I'd be doing and to sit there and take the time. I this is this is the first book I wrote after moving back from Columbus, and I told you I hit a complete reset. I was like, I don't want to work for any more jobs that are not moving in the direction that I, I see mm. myself going in. And I up until this point, my resume has no, looked nothing. It looked like nothing else besides just you know regular jobs that are getting me by. They had nothing to do with you know what I wanted, and so it was just a hard stop. Move back to Dayton. I took about a year off of work. I had, I think I had a voter registration job at the time, but for the most part, it was just me at home building this book from scratch and, and working on it every step of the way. So really taking that time out to work on something and actually produce it really gave me a huge boost in my confidence of what I could accomplish as an artist and what's possible for me. And, you know, when I really have the time and resources to, you know, move through that. So, yeah, it, it was, it was a, uh, a moment I reflect on often. <laughs> At least I try to. Oh, I, well, I'm glad you do that. I mean, I think I think you're is to let you know as an elder. Oh God, I can't believe I actually could say the word. <laughs> Almost an elder. Let's put it this way, because I'm not sure. Bing. Definitely not Bing Davis that's or fair. Andrew Davis. But close, getting closer. <laughs> it is refreshing because it's like that's a, such a difference from even 30, 40 years ago being in the arts that I'm hearing people who are younger than me actually speaking about their their practice in a different terms mm-hmm. and so that's refreshed that that's that that's what gives me the hope that's what inspires me because i was like i'm inspired by leroy is doing this he's <laughs> like okay i'm like it's it's inspiring to us it's like it's a, and it's those in the community with spoken word i have a question about spoken word that it's gonna i mean i a lot a lot of people have a mistaken notion of what spoken word is. Mm-hmm. They think it's, they only base it upon 
snippets, but I firmly believe you have to go. It's not what's taped. You need to be there live. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like you're not that people don't, don't understand that you need to be physically in the space with the with the person who's speaking. Is that a fair assessment that, you know, it doesn't really capture it as oh. well as we could? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We try to communicate that as much as possible through our, our marketing for broken English. But yeah, the, the the clips, you know, you get to you get to hear the witty lines, you get to hear the audience reactions, and it's cool to just kind of check out, you know, some quick content. But the experience of watching a spoken word, and I want to say this with very with a lot of intention, a spoken word artist do their thing on stage. And when I say spoken word artists, it is truly a skill to be able to craft words in a certain way with a certain tone, inflection, the pace, the emphasis on certain words or phrases to be able to put together the pauses that that complement the line that it's attached to and that engagement that you feel. It's all and I don't know if if you are Avatar Last Airbender fan or anyone else listening. <laughs> I love it, it. It's this aspect of bending energy with the audience. And that is something you can't capture with the screen because it's all organic right there in the moment. And it might be emotional, it may be some laughs, it may be a full spectrum of the human experience, but but that moment in person with just a person, the spoken word artist on stage and being, you know, captive by them and their performance is is next level it's nothing that a video or a clip could compare to you can only get pieces from that oh snap so you so i i love it i, I you know we do the snap of the fingers because that because that's that's what dance is i mean i i, I yeah I can, I can watch a video of dance and be like oh i get it i understand it but it doesn't impact me the same way as seeing it live mm -hmm. there's something about that visceral experience it's really interesting we talked to a couple weeks ago and this podcast aired with a local comedian, Jesse Nutt. And he talks about crafting exactly, he, he, he described it and paraphrasing in a very similar way, mm -hmm. how you describe spoken word. It's the language. It's like mm -hmm. the pauses, it's the inflection points, it's fine tuning. That word doesn't really convey it as well as this word. Yeah. And do you find yourself going back after you've created a work and altering it? I mean, cause Comedians alter their the material to hone it down to its essence. Do mm -hmm. you go back and look at yourself and like, well, you know, that worked a year ago, but <laughs> <laughs> did, I mean, I, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, yeah, do you for sure, for sure. And that's what I was about to say. You know, the difference between writing for the page and writing for the stage, right? You know, you put it out on a book, kind of, you you pick that formatting, it kind of is what it is, and you, and you put it out there. Versus, you you know spoken word and comedy kind of do really mirror each other in that sentiment because you, I could have a final poem and I may not understand what needs to be worked on next, what needs to be revised next until I step in front of an audience. And I realize like, oh, they reacted to a part that I didn't expect them to react to, or they didn't react to a part that I wanted them to react to, or, you know, maybe I sped through this a little too fast. And it also depends on how many times you've performed it or how many times you practice and even practice doesn't compare to when you're standing in front of the audience. And it's just like, you find yourself trying to, you know, manage how you're performing while you're performing 
And sometimes, you know, you just need that second round or you need to, you know, try it again or you try out some different thing. And it and you let it you let it live. You let it have its own existence almost. And and you use the word embodied. And I really do try my best to embody my work as much as possible to, to let it live through me. And you never know how it needs to show up one day. I've, I've performed a piece that just just, you know, popped out <laughs> a certain way one night that I've never performed it before any times I had performed it a hundred times before that, you know, and it, it would be something I'm like, okay, I'm taking that. I'm taking notes from that. Like the way that that flow went really well. And, and, and the audience felt like they were just attentive and hanging on to every word. So yeah, the, the performance definitely needs, you know, some revisions or some, you know, reworking just like the writing sometimes. I love it. I love it. So we're going to take a pause and a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how, all of this, all this experiences you've had in life have led to this journey to Paris. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Leroy about that trip to Paris to the James Baldwin conference. Hi, I'm Mike Shea, communications specialist for Think TV and the producer of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Rodney Veal's Inspired By. This podcast is a production of CET and Think TV, two local PBS stations. As PBS stations, the work we do online, on air, and in the community is supported by listeners like you. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support our work, please consider becoming a member at CETConnect.org or ThinkTV.org. Plus, when you sign up to donate at least $5 a month, you'll get access to special members-only streaming videos on the PBS app through Passport. Learn more at CETConnect.org or ThinkTV.org. Thanks for listening, and back to the show. All right, so we are back, and we're, we're talking to Leroy, Leroy Bean, spoken word artist, community activist, all around future of the arts in Dayton. That's a big title. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's a crown you will wear very well. Um, so I love the fact that, you know, when I – the, the experience of you had an opportunity to go to, and I'm going to hopefully get this right. The, there's a, con, a James Baldwin conference in Paris, France. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. What, what compelled you to apply and why? I mean, because, you know, that's a big leap to go from Ohio, <laughs> from yeah. Dayton, Ohio to Paris. Yeah. This, this is some of the best, alignment I've had in my entire life. So we just talked about Baldwin Cafe and Mm -hmm. how James Baldwin was a huge influence for that. And I had applied for uh, a small, it was right around the time I I had applied for the funding for Baldwin Cafe. Darshil sent me a link to the James Baldwin conference. I had never heard of the organization and Never thought that some opportunity like that would even be in my reach. I was like, what? I can't. Because <laughs> James Baldwin. Right. Is, I tell people all the time. And I, I mean, I go back and read James all the time. Yes. Inspiration. So. That, that's the pedal I had him on for sure. And <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm just, I, I was kind of, you know, minimizing myself. I didn't think that it was something that I would even make it accepted to it and it was i had to apply i had to submit a writing sample there was also registration fees and stuff like that it was a hefty price it wasn't an all-expense paid trip i had to 
raise the funds. And it was just like, there's no way. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford this. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get in. And Darshills, you know, being a part of my community and at the time, like this is when the heart was was just starting out and we were all living there, creating creating the foundation of the co-work and co-living space. And she just kind of walked me through it and encouraged me to apply, to apply, at least try it out, you know. And I did. And they accepted me. And I was super, super surprised. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Like, I got accepted. I didn't think I would. Wow. Like, they really love my work. And I was specific. At this time, it was a conference for artists, activists, and academics. And so I had got accepted to the creative writing track for the artists. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, like, now I need to figure out fundraising. Like, how do I get there? How do I get the money? And I'm just I'm allowing myself to move through it step by step. And this was back in 2019. Yeah. 2019. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. And the conference was supposed to be in 2020. So I had like a little less than a year to raise the funds and get there. But then, you know, 2020, the pandemic happened. Things got postponed. And it got postponed every year until the conference, the, the original conference happened last year but there wasn't enough people for the creative writing track. So they made a whole separate conference specifically for writers. And so oh, wow. this year, the one that I ended up going to became the James Baldwin Writers Conference, the first one that they had ever done. So yeah, that was the journey of getting there or just at least applying for it and hearing about it. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I so what made you think you were you were up at that level? I, I, I just I'm out of curiosity for those who who might like stop themselves in their tracks before doing something like this. Like, yeah, what made you think that you were there? I mean, uh, this okay. This, this was I think I was only about five five years in at this point, five or six maybe, and okay. I still see myself as just like a very young artist. And this was the first time I had ever really applied for anything for writing. You know. I had been in a lot of performances. I had done a lot of features. I had, I even, I hadn't even moved through a, a lot of publishings yet. I think I had been published once, once or twice, a few for some local Columbus magazines, and then once for University of State Writ and Orpheus Literary Magazine. But I was, I was still in my beginning stages of just like kind of putting myself out there. And I didn't, I was like, they want a writing sample. I've never given anybody a writing sample. I don't even know what this is supposed to look like. And I'm like, I gotta give them my best work. I I perform this. I don't. They're gonna. I don't know if they're gonna get it. I, it was just a lot. Imposter syndrome was huge for me at that time. Well, I just let you know that's a that's a thing that afflicts us all. I mean, we think that we're not worthy of the pathway or the opportunity, and then we go, "What, what was I thinking?" So I mean, I'm. I mean, so they saw it. I mean, that's the thing is for people to understand. It's like when you're reaching for something like that, that a conference, that's an international conference. Mm -hmm. That wasn't just you applying with folks from the Midwest. This right. was folks from all over the world. Yeah. And Please. so, so you, 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 you just took the, you just went a leap of faith. You just leap said, let faith. me just, I'm going to try this. I'm going to get the money. I'm going to work this all out. So all, all of that worked in your favor. And so you, this conference, Tell me about what, what it's like, because it's, you know, what was it like being an African-American man? Had you left the country before this? Before this? I had been on a cruise, but <laughs> <laughs> other than that, no, I haven't left the country before, especially not for my art. 
not for your art. And so what's it like to go to Paris? What talk talk me through when you that experience of being there. First thing it felt it felt like home. It felt so comfortable. It, it felt amazing. By the the moment I got there, I walked around like I've been there for years. Like I was from there. Like I knew like I at least had lived there for a few years. And it was and nothing about it felt strange. Nothing about it felt uncomfortable. I didn't feel and I was by myself. I was there. The conference was seven days total, but I had stayed for an entire month. But my entire experience, well, the, the the one thing they lost, my luggage was lost when I got there. Cool. <laughs> Wait, because I remember, yeah. I remember that from the Facebook page post. Yes. Yeah, your luggage got lost. I was like, oh dang, that's All not right. the, that's not the. I was like, that was, don't, don't take it as a sign. <laughs> don't take right. It. <laughs> it, but that was I couldn't even be mad at that because when I got to the airport at Cincinnati, they were offering, um, they were offering to give gift cards or give buy people's tickets because the plane was overbooked. And I was like, oh, let me let me go see. I could use some extra spending money. Let me go see what they're offering. It was offering $2,000 to give them my seat. And it was only going to be a two-hour delay for me to get to Paris. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And so for $2,000, <laughs> I can't be mad that my luggage was lost, you know? There's give and take. There's, there's a process. And there's balance in the universe. I can't be mad at it. <laughs> I love. I am. I, I. I'm like. Wow. Wow. I mean. So you. You even made money off of it. <laughs> I love that. A few so, times. <laughs> so that. I love that familiarity, that comfort, because it's. I. I've. I felt that way, when I've been to Paris. Mm. You know. I felt. Oh, I felt like I'm at home. I mean, it was like. Oh, okay. I mean, because I didn't go on a tour. I went. We went just as people. We just. Yeah. Booked a hotel and walked around. Got to, and it's. Got I, I think what what would surprise most people from the United States about about Paris, I, they, they don't realize they may because there's a stereotype, and I don't think they fully understand that there's a vibrant African communities, mm-hmm. and that made that that did something for my my energy and my joy. Yeah, to see how they they maneuver they maneuvered through space definitely so what was that like encountering someone <clears throat> who looks like you but is it it's from the motherland right. <laughs> so to speak oh man it was it was definitely really interesting i was all over i did i wish i would have known more about the districts before i stayed there i ended up staying in which is more so like the Asian community, but we spent a lot of time in the 18th Aerodismal, which was, you know, predominantly black there. And being able to walk around and see all of the shops, just how they operated, the food, being from all over, it, it was it was very comfortable. Nothing felt out of place. And even one of the first nights I got there, we went to a black owned restaurant. And I think that was one of the most up close experiences I had gotten because I'm like the the music that they played, they danced while they cooked. the The waitresses were were so comfortable and like we could have like really easy conversation. We ended up meeting the owners of of the restaurant and like they talked to us like you know 
everything was cool. They invited us to a club that they owned, got, gave us free access, and we got to go to a party later that night. So it was just like being, it was like comfortable. It was like they, like, again, like I had been there for some years and, and I had already known people, but it was that friendly when we were there. So everyone that I met, and I met a lot of people too that were already, that were from um, the United States, a, a few expats um, that live there in Paris now and were artists, and they showed me around in a lot of different areas as well. So it was just, it was really comfortable, man. It, it felt, again, at home. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it's, and so that feeling of comfort in home is, I'm thinking about the fact that now you're like, you, you, you're there and, and you're working in a conference. What was it like to kind of, because you said it changed you. I mean, you said mm -hmm. the, the conference, the conference work changed you. And you had a month after the conference to kind of, kind of unpack it all. I mean, yeah. so what was the conference itself like? I mean, it was like, you know, what do you do in a writer's conference? That's I mean, I know what we do in a dancer's conference. I mean, we're yeah. moving, we're moving, we're talking, we're moving, we're talking, we're moving. We're constantly dissecting where our movement is being mm -hmm. generated from. Are you doing the same thing with language? Yeah, in a way, it was a lot of experiences. And I think writers are kind of best described as just these um observant observers witnesses you know of the things that are going on around them so we got a lot of chances to just kind of take in a lot of different areas in paris so there were the conference wasn't stationed at one location oh. it was it jumped around at different venues that they were able to book for different workshops so the first day we had just like a meet and greet out by the river and then the second day we had a workshop that was at this place called La Carousel, which was actually the first cabaret that Josephine Baker owned. And we got to have a mini museum exhibit where I got to see some of her edge control. And we had a workshop that was split for poets and then for fiction writers. And we listened to some James Baldwin and we had a conversation. And then we got to go to the Picasso Museum after that. And then there was, I think that was the first day of the open mic that we had. And then the rest of the day were pretty similar. We would have a, a workshop. We would probably go on a tour or visit like some other location to kind of just see around the city. And then we would have an open mic or a panel with, with some writers that were there. And that was the gist of about like five days for the conference. It was like that. And then the last two days, we took a trip to Nice in south of France and specifically St. Paul de Vence, where... James Baldwin spent the last 17 years of his life and, we, life and we actually got to talk to one of his old friends that were there that was there around his neighborhood and yeah. he got to tell us stories he got to show us some sculptures that he had made in uh, memory of James Baldwin some books that James Baldwin had signed for him and we also just got to kind of see a little bit more around that area we got to take a tour of his old house not inside but just kind of around what it looked like because unfortunately they didn't it's now being turned into some condos, um, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, we just, it was a lot of uh, eating experiences, of course, as well. But culinary, huh? Food. Yeah, they, Not, they, that's what they do well. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of writing experiences and being able to also perform at open mics and stuff. So, were the open mics open to the public, or is it just to the conference participants? I mean, that was. I'm kind of curious about that because we yeah. well, sometimes when we go to conferences, you just kind of you perform for your peers. Mm -hmm. But th did it open up? Did it allow for other people to kind of participate? No, it was only for the the conference members. However, 
I was determined <laughs> to visit an open mic that was uh, local, that, that was open to the public. And the very, the second day of the workshop, I had met a guy there who, who had facilitated the workshop and he told me about a English speaking open mic that happened on Mondays. And so Monday was also a day for one of our open mics. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go to our open mic and then I'm gonna show up at, you know, the one that's in the 18th. So we ended up getting our open mic postponed or not postponed, pushed back a couple hours because there was a delay with something. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna still try to make it because Bruce, who was the facilitator of the workshop, he told me, you got to be there exactly at eight, because if you're not there at eight, you're going to miss the sign up because it fills up quick. So I'm like, okay, I can't miss this. I got to time out everything perfectly. I showed up to our open mic and they got started late. So I ended up having to leave <laughs> as soon as they got started because I really wanted to make the one that was local to Paris. And that was, that was amazing. I'm wow. And we're talking, Eng we're talking English language spoken word yes. too, as well, which yeah. is, I mean, there was clearly an audience. <laughs> For mean, sure. Oh, my, what was that like performing in Paris? Oh, come on. Come on. I, you lean back. I was like, yeah, that was a, that was, that was, that was a moment, wasn't it? It was amazing. That was, that was a moment where I really got to, if I had any reason to put my imposter syndrome to rest, that that would be a reason right there for sure. And I was able to actually go to that open mic about three out of the four weeks that I was there. And every time I knew that I had something special, I knew that I had a unique voice because people were amazed. Like nobody had really seen spoken word perform the way that I brought it to that stage. And I made so many new I would definitely say friends, community members in Paris that, you know, just ended up talking to me after the show, took pictures, took videos. Hey, do you want me to send these to you? You did great. Da, da, da. Like, and, and that was, that was really my family for the net, for that month that I was there was the people that I met at that, at that open mic. And it also turned into meeting some people at a, at a writing workshop that also attend the, the open mic. So it, it was, it was great. It was like, most of the time, most of my years in the community here in Ohio sped up into a month. <laughs> An accelerator. You got right. the accelerator. So, so you talked about you spent a month afterwards. I mean, like, so you did, you were still doing the open mics. What did you do with the rest of your time? Were you just writing? Were you absorbing? What, what, well, obviously living too, but. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Definitely living, allowing myself to live and breathe and exist. But yeah, just exploring, just allowing myself to to believe. And I have my poetry, my shirt on today. Allowing myself to believe in the poetry, allowing myself to believe in the alignment and the synchronicities that were supposed to happen while I was out there. And I just let that guide me. If it was a day where I needed to rest, I rested. I took a nap. I slept in late, whatever I needed to do. But there were days where I just went to go explore. I just walked in no, no direction in particular. And the alignment I will find on that walk, I would just end up close by somewhere that, you know, we had to meet for one of the days on our conference. I will pick a coffee shop that just happened to be across from a place that we had also been in our conference, or I met somebody that was connected to someone else in the conference. And like, it was just all around alignment everywhere I turned. And I, and I definitely got deep into just like, you know, the locals and getting to know them. So a lot of exploration for sure. I know that feeling that 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 sense of 
theme that's different and it's accelerated. And so mm-hmm. you now you're back. You've brought it back. So what what has changed in how you perceive what you're doing as an activist, community activist, and an artist, and a mentor, and all of the things that you are? What has changed? Mm-hmm. What changed because of that journey and experience? Man. I will say a lot of my my faith in my journey and my artistic understanding my artistic identity, my passion for the art and understanding how my frustration for the lack of respect of art was kind of misguided a little bit or misdirected. We listened to James Baldwin's speech, the artist for the struggle, the artist struggle for his integrity. And there's something in there that stuck with me a lot while I was there. And he says uh, that I'm not, I don't, I'm as an artist, I would never come to you as a complainant for doing something that I must do. And he says, it isn't, you know, it's not your fault. It's not my fault that I write. And I could see myself flashes of just moments where I had been looking at my community or, or speaking to my community directly or indirectly as a complainant, as someone who was frustrated because I felt like I wasn't getting the support or recognition that I wanted to see as as an artist. And it wasn't, it really wasn't that I was frustrated at the people. I had a passion for it that was that was so huge I wanted people to see it how I saw it. But also it was more of the infrastructure the institutions and like their support for the artists, how they really give or provide a foundation for artists to be homegrown and to truly listen to and support the local voices and storytellers of their community. And and, and it's having that lack that, you know, just it built up a lot of resentment in me over the years. And it had me in a very kind of tough spot with just how I believed in what was possible or after these long 10 years, you know, what it started to feel like was possible. And I was starting to get a little more discouraged moment by moment. But after having this trip, I got to a place where I have a huge understanding for my love for this craft. And I have a better understanding for the patience that is necessary and the job that I'm here to do. Like the reason why that support hasn't been in place is because of the power that artistry has. And that is a breaking of everything that you know. To experience art is can be reality crushing half the time, more than half the time. And for people to truly recognize that and provide the the so the resources and infrastructure that that's needed to thrive it means that everyone has to come to terms with the things deep inside of themselves uh that needs a voice that needs a space and that is the humanity um that is our, our emotional connections that is the relationships and the understanding of interdependent interdependence um that we must have as communities in order to thrive uh and that's a big job that's a huge job and it's a lot that is in the way of that mindset right now, of that spiritual journey for a lot of people right now. People don't have the time to focus on a lot of the things that art has to talk about because we have real world problems. And that's not to say that art can't be 
a supportive caveat for people moving through those things, but it's hard for them to see the importance of it, the value of it, if it's not directly feeding, you know, or directly providing money or whatever the case may be. But, you know, so, yeah, it just put a lot in perspective of of what this journey is going to look like for me and the work that I'm going to have to put in. And then just also how I want to tell my story. And, and like I said, coming to terms with that artistic identity and my place in it all. So. That's what that's what that's why you are the future of the arts, because it's it's a journey. Yeah. You don't see it as a final destination. And mm-hmm. so it's such a it was this was this is what I think all of our people who listen to the podcast needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say as a last thought? What would you say to those who maybe carry had carried around that sense of anger, that sense of and also imposter syndrome? What would you say to them after having had the experiences you've had in the last 10 years? What would you say to them that would help them change their minds or mm. see it differently? What, what, would you, what would be your words of advice and wisdom? First and foremost, believe in the poetry. Believe in the alignment in the way that things work. As an artist, as someone who has a voice of the people, who is one of the very few that speaks the real reality of the human experience, we have to go through a lot of challenges and trials and struggles in order to be proper representations of the things that we're talking about. You you can't talk about it if you haven't been through it. You can't give a testimony if there hasn't been anything lived to be able to give that testimony for. So understanding that everything that an artist has to go through in their life is necessary in order for us to, for one, translate it into art, however that may be, to put us on the path that we need and to put us in front of the people that we need to be in front of in order to change the minds, in order to change the hearts, it's all connected. And there is always going to be somebody, there's an audience for everyone. And we have to believe that our work is bigger than us as as human beings, as this life can last, it's bigger than all of that. And, And we have to trust where that is going to go every step of the way so to continue to see those remind yourself of those moments and folks there we have it leroy thank you so much thank you given it's given me hope joy and dreams it's everything in everything in between so bless i appreciate that this is this has been a wonderful conversation Rodney Veal's Inspired By is a production of Public Media Connect, the regional partnership of CET in Cincinnati and Think TV in Dayton. There's a lot of great art happening around Southwest Ohio, and we're excited to be part of it. If you like this episode, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can learn more and find the show notes at thinktv.org forward slash inspired by or cetconnect.org forward slash inspired by. Thank you.